Selena, I got to say, we are covering some very uplifting topics on the podcast, <laughs> on the Fierce Parenting Podcast these days. <laughs> I don't know why we're doing it in this order, but the first one we did was two episodes on the population bomb fallacy, which mm. is really about the population collapse, right? Super upbeat topic <laughs> and teaching your children, discipling them in light of that impending doom. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh that's not part of the message, by the way. <laughs> um, and now today we are talking about death. Okay. To die is gain, as Paul talks about in Philippians. What does it mean to understand? Like, what's a Christian view of death? And how are we to understand and approach death and to think about death and to contemplate death? Well, what are our own shortcomings and not maybe not shortcomings, but our own per- wrong perspectives of, of death Yeah, as a believer? You're yeah. saying what they should be, but what are also, what are the things that we've just by default carried into our yeah. own hearts? And then the question at hand, being that it's a parenting podcast and the, the book is uh, unfolding, it's a parenting, parenting book, how are you to disciple our children so that they will then disciple their children who will then in turn disciple their children, mm. your great grandkids, so that they have a Christian vision for death, a Christian view for death. So with that said, we'll see you on the other side. Hello and welcome back. My name is Ryan. This is my lovely wife, mother of my children, Selena. And Sunny's under here. Mother of my yeah, right here. four daughters, the fourth being obviously the youngest. Sunny, <laughs> Alethea Bess. Hello, sweet, sweet baby. She might, if you're lucky, viewer, make an appearance on camera here. Or you might hear her if you're just listening. But yeah, Selena, what, what's your knee-jerk response to this? Because I've got, you know, a rundown a mile long. <laughs> We're not going to get through every detail, but we're, we're going to get through the breadth of it. When you think about death, I know I tend to have a bit of a kind of haphazard. Um, well, you, if anybody knows our story, you know that Ryan had a brush with death early on in our marriage. And if you want to know about that, Which we will share here. It's actually oh, part of this mile long. We rundown. are going to, we are going to share. That's a bit. Okay. About the whole thing. I think you should make them go buy the book. We're going to fly over. Yeah, buy the book. Fierce Marriage, <laughs> where books are sold. But you have, all that to say, you have a very unique, well, anyone who's had a brush with death understands. Uh, yeah, but what's your view of death? So you grew up, I know, your mom's I, a nurse, your yes. aunt's a nurse, you're, you're, you know, I think you, you've expressed to me. I've had a that, fear of death. There you go. Because, uh, yeah, they've seen kind of the worst of it. and. And mom and, and yeah, yeah, the nurses and medical yeah. people in, in my family. And death is a very physical thing as much as it is spiritual, right? Um, as I've grown up, you know, you you kind of feel invincible for the first 20 or 30 years of your life, however long, until you have that moment of, hmm, that quarter mid, midlife pri- crisis or something of like, <laughs> I'm not going to live. None of us, like, we're not getting out of this alive. Uh we yeah. are going to have to face death. So there's some fear of the unknown. So here's a, here's a really morbid way to put it. Um, let's say the, the, the average life expectancy, I think right now for, for women is like 78 years or something like that. And I think for men, it's like 75, right? So divide that by two. So if you're 30, if you're a guy and you're 37 years old, you're half dead. <laughs> That's a morbid way to put it. You've reached your statistical half-life. Uh, if you are a lady and you're 38 years old or 39 years old and you're statistically 
half dead. <laughs> You're just looking at me with your judgy eyes. So I think about that. Like it, you've, you have spent more of your life than you have left. And what that does is that gives you a very tangible way to think through Psalm 9012. Lord, teach us to count our days that we might gain a heart of wisdom. So very quickly, um, Selena mentioned this, our story, we, in our second year of marriage, we were headed into our second anniversary. We graduated from college. We got married halfway through undergrad. Uh, so we were married and students at the same time. We, we graduated school. Selena had a bright, shining uh, arts, media, and culture degree, <laughs> right? And a minor in education. Thank you very I much. Had a, I had a business degree. Business. <laughs> <laughs> business. And there were very fancy pieces of paper with zero jobs <laughs> attached to them. pieces of paper. And so we looked at each other and said, what are we going to do with our lives? <laughs> We're 22. Naturally. We have, we have these degrees. We're finally done with this really busy season. We need to enter the workforce. And Selena said, I have an idea. There's this I have farm. An opportunity, an investment opportunity. <laughs> Try to get my rich friends over here. <laughs> Selena's candle business, Serenity by Selena. That could work. <laughs> no. That's my secret sauce. She said, I have an idea. There's this guy in switzerland who has a barn and he has horses on this barn and they need to be trained and they also have a five-year-old daughter who needs uh an au pair and who needs to learn english and selena said i'm the woman for the job let's do it and so she proposed it to me i said why not uh <laughs> we shipped out we we moved within a month we were overseas and we had just finished like i said college and and i did not take good care of myself i was living on a diet of Gas station burritos and energy drinks. <laughs> I don't actually eat the burritos, but you get the picture. Something like that. Hot pockets. <laughs> um, and we were just going, burning at both ends. And I think what had happened is it run, ran down my immune system to the point where I was really sick. And so we got we're, we had a layover in Copenhagen. I remember being so sick I could hardly even function. Um, we land in Switzerland. Uh, I go to the doctor. They say, we don't know what's wrong with you. Here, take these antibiotics and take these painkillers. Call us in a week. Let us know if stuff changes. Well, those two things kept the pain at bay and the infection at bay, but they didn't make me any better. Right. Until finally, by I think the grace of God, we had a perfect storm of a Swiss holiday and I ran out of medicine. Couldn't go to the doctor because they were all closed. Ended up um, having convulsions because I was uh, my my infection had uh, re it was like a dam broke. It right. had rel I'd relapsed so badly. Um, ended up. Uh, you know, in, in the local clinic, basically he listened to my heart. He said, wow, there's something terribly wrong with your heart. We need to get you to the nearby hospital. I said, yeah, that's funny. How much is that going to cost? He said, it's either that or your life. You choose. I said, okay, well, let's go. Where, where do we go? <laughs> and so we went to the hospital. Selena hopped in the, we rode an ambulance through the, the, the suburbs Streets of Switzerland. Of Switzerland. Of Zurich. End up at this hospital. Well, long story short, they discovered that I have what's called bacterial endocarditis. It's an infection on, on my mitral valve. And it was about a two and a, about a two centimeter bacterial growth that was eating a hole into my mitral valve. And uh, they didn't know uh, what the infection was. So they said, we're going to try and treat this, this infection with this cocktail of antibiotics mm -hmm. intravenously. Did that for a week. Didn't work. The bacteria actually grew. grew. Yeah. And they said... Tomorrow morning, we're going to have to cut you open and do an open heart surgery. And that was the moment I thought, I can count my days. I can count. I, I've, I have mm -hmm. less than a day, potentially. Lord, give me a heart of wisdom. I spent that afternoon writing letters to my loved ones, wrote a letter to Selena, 
my brother, my, my dad, my mom, some good friends. And I uh, woke up the next morning not knowing if that would be my last day. Hmm. Um, of course, here we are. It wasn't my last day. The surgery <laughs> went well. Uh, I have some minor things to be aware of in terms of my heart how moving forward. But I kind of think I'm living on borrowed time because had I been born in virtually any other time in human history, you yeah. would be a widow. Yeah. And without children, I would be dead. Yeah. But that's not how God saw fit to let our lives unfold. And here I am, here we are, here Sonny is mm -hmm. doing this work. And it's it's given me a, a very sober kind of uh, vision for uh, for reality. And it's helped me, um, it's it's helped me think, I think a little more clearly about the finitude of, mm -hmm. of life and the mortality that, that we have. Uh, and also the urgency with, within which we can live out our days. Right. Um, God's been gracious in that, but something happens when you've nearly died. Your outlook changes. Okay, and you mentioned that, you th that some people think you can live forever. Well, when you've nearly died, your outlook changes from bravado to sobriety. And you see life as truly what it is. It's short, it's fragile, and every moment a blessing. Mm. Um, and you're forced to deal with it. And so I think that's the challenge here, is if you've not had the gift of a near-death experience, um, you need to somehow conjure in your mind that that vision so that you can then see it clearly and then Lord willing gain the heart of wisdom so that you might live mm. out your days. Conjure in your mind. I would say you can ask the Lord for uh that clarity because oh, yeah. yeah well I that's think. what that's what the psalmist is doing. He's saying right. that, you know teach me to number my days. And that's right. um what I what I'd still do on, on a weekly basis is I review my fam my um personal kind of resolutions and goals and it's it's a document I have going. But in there, there's an envision statement that says, I envision my deathbed laying there, seeing on my side, my wife, the wife of my youth. Unless I've gone first. If you go first, I'm burning the whole thing down. That's <laughs> no, no contest. Um, yeah. So but I'm, I'm envisioning my wife to one side, right. Lord willing, surrounded by all of our daughters. And mm -hmm. my prayer is that they would marry godly men, every one of them. Mm -hmm. I pray that they have children at a young age. And I pray that I get to get to know their children and have a relationship with their children and, and them and then close friends yeah. surrounding the table. And I can look out with through a, with dim vision and <laughs> think, what a blessed life God has given me. Yeah. And, I, and I can think to myself, he's been gracious this whole time. And I want to say, I've run my race mm. faithfully. I've led and loved my family well. I've worked unto the glory of God. And so back that vision, weekly reviewing that vision, like mm -hmm. I, I can get teary if I work myself up to it. <laughs> I'm going to stop there. But backing that vision into, okay, so now what do I do today? I'm sitting at my computer working on this manuscript mm -hmm. or working on this website or working on this ministry thing that we're doing. Uh, that gives you context. And so I want to teach our children that so that they don't see death the same way our culture sees death. Right. Which, how does our culture see death? How would you describe um, the Western culture and the modern yeah, American. You know, it's really interesting. Um, we, they, we don't handle it well. Like we don't, we, we do our best to defer age, mm -hmm. to defer death. Um, Tim Keller called it the great interruption, <laughs> right? He also called it the great, uh, the great insult in that it, it is a reminder that we are but dust <laughs> and we will be buried in the ground. And also the great, uh, who else you got? It's like the great, I want to say separation of some sort. Basically, 
the uh, the idea that body and soul were never meant to be separated, but yet death does that. It separates your body from your soul mm. um, in a very like unavoidable way. Right. And so I, I would say if to take those three ideas, I would say the great interruption to me feels like well, how our culture mostly views death and that it's just it's just kind of taboo. You don't talk about it. You don't, you, you, most things that die or death that happens, it happens off screen. Right. It happens behind closed doors in quiet hospital rooms or hospice rooms mm. or even, you know, in a home. It's it's quiet and somber. And yes, death is bad. Like, I'm not here to say death is good and we should somehow embrace it. Like, death is the result of sin. It's the result of the fall. Now, here's the thing. As Christians, our worldview gives us wisdom and tools and true hope in the face of death. Right. Whereas, in contrast, humanism, the prevailing religion of our day, that if I just have enough money, enough time, and enough effort, mm. we can figure this thing out. <laughs> there is no hope for the humanist right. in the face of death mm -mm. because you will not defeat it. Mm -mm. And and so when when it defeats you, you, you have to you, you better be ready. It's too be late. Ready. It's too late by that time. Yeah. So if I were to take that idea that death is the great interruption and kind of distill it down into four um, aspects of how society views it, I'd say. The first one is that it's less commonplace. And so one of the reasons is it's interruption because we don't experience it. We don't we don't know how to handle death up close. Right. It's not like, hey, I've never swam in a lake before. I'm going to go swim in a lake. Oh, great. That was awesome. Like you don't come back from that and you don't know what that transition it, will be like, what, what you, right. you know, you, you, you have what the Bible tells you or you might have some experiences depending on your vocation, depending on true. your history, but in, by and large society has forgotten how near death is. Right. Uh, it's not too long ago that one in three children, I want to say back like when, you know, probably in the 17, 1800s, one in three children didn't make it into adulthood. Right. right. And so you had, it's very likely that if you were an adult, you saw one of your siblings die because mm -hmm. people weren't having small families back then. Right. Um, but it's very likely that if you were an adult, you saw one of your parents die. Not only that, but you probably saw them dying mm -hmm. in that process. Mm -hmm. But we have medic medicine by the grace of God has made so many advances that the, our, our life expect expectancy has gone up. Actually, it went down for the first time in, in like 70 years this year. Um, probably COVID stuff. And whatever else that could mean. <laughs> um, but the point is, is that death is very, it's very uncommon in terms of our daily experience. Uh, number two, we have a society that is genuinely afraid of death. And for a good reason, like we mentioned, there's the humanist worldview, but there's this phobia of death or, or injury for that matter. This safety at all costs. Right. Um, I'm old enough to remember a time. I mean, we're old enough <laughs> um, to remember riding in the backseat of cars without a seatbelt or without a car seat. I don't remember sitting in a car seat. I don't know that I remember sitting in a car seat. I'm no, sure we had our, some, but. But like our, our uh, six-year-old is in a booster seat. Yeah. I remember we did a road trip down to California to go to Disneyland from Washington State to Disneyland. My brother and I were in the back of the truck on a mattress for the entire way. <laughs> like no seat belts. We were wrestling. Like they had, we had windows that were open. Now there was a, a canopy over it. So we weren't like in the back right, of it. Right. Um, but like the windows were open and. To where like you could fit through the window. Right. And there's a net there, like a screen, mm -hmm. but the screen was tore. And so like I could le legitimately fall out of this truck. <laughs> and here we are. That was, but since then we've gotten so averse to any sort of risk 
Right. And I, I, I spent a little time thinking, why is that? And I think it could be our, uh, our litigation happy culture that we, that uh, true. That we true. hold everyone responsible, but the individual. Like if you slip on the floor, it's not because you were running. It's because someone didn't put a, you know, wet floor sign out, <laughs> right? Or if you, you know, if you do something stupid, it's not necessarily right. your fault. There's no account, real accountability. And so there, that, so the, yeah, there's this, this cultural aversion to people getting injured because I think people are, governments and corporations are afraid of getting sued. Not just my own kind of guess, but it's probably a, a, a milieu of reasons. Um, uh, number three would be, uh, I, I said, this is going to be a heading of, of the section in the book. Put the dying ones over there. <laughs> so not only is death uncommon, but and it, it's taboo in the sense that we've we've forgotten how death looks. We've forgotten how it unfolds. We've forgotten how death smells. Mm-hmm. And I mean that. Yeah. And that it's very distinct. Um, a now, smell, I think, is what makes it human or brings not it, but it's an actual experience. You mm-hmm. know, you, you watch something on television, you can't smell what's happening, right? You, you read something mm-hmm. and unless the author puts in something about the smell, you, you can't, it's the smell of, you know, walking into a room of someone dying is so distinct. That's why hospitals are so troubling because anyone who's had a loved one in a hospital who's been sick yeah. and maybe died. Smells are triggering. And the smells in the hospital are related to that. Yeah. Um, if you've had someone that's been on chemotherapy, there's going to be a specific smell around the medicines that they've been on, the chemicals they've been on. Um, so that, yeah, we, we don't experience it up close. Right. Firsthand. Um, I'm curious, uh, over the last, I remember as a probably five-year-old, my when my uh, grandfather on my mom's side mm-hmm. died, I, there was an open casket. Oh, okay. Um, now, my grandmother was so adamant that we didn't even want a funeral. She was like, it was in her will, like, do not have a funeral. Do not just, which was, tr- which was sad because I wanted, you know, we didn't get to, to celebrate her yeah. or celebrate her. But I'm curious, how has the ratio of opened to closed caskets changed over the last 50 years? Now, hmm. are people still doing open caskets at the same rate, which they used to? Why or why not? I don't know. Maybe I'll try to find that out. But to me, that would answer some part of this question of, are we willing to look death in the face? Hmm. I'd say by and large, no, we're not. Unless it's in in, in a hyperbolic fa- fashion, right? Unless it's in an action movie or mm-hmm. it's in, you know, something like that. But when it comes down to the real nitty-gritty, the nitty-gritty of, of it, it. Yeah. Well, and you probably have mentioned this many times, but this is very much a westernized uh, view, I think, and experience. Yeah. Because in other cultures, ancient, you know, even, even the ancient cultures, they they celebrate. I mean, look at the, the mummies, right? Like they celebrated, they put sure. things away, they planned and prepped for death. It was a rite of passage and almost. It was, yes. It was, it was not and the end of life. Of it was a part of life. And, the, uh, and that, that's not, that's granted, not to their say, beliefs were right, off because they're, right. they're expecting the afterlife right. to look a certain way. But the point is, is that because of our humanist worldview, we see it as the end of the life. Therefore mm-hmm. it is to be avoided at all costs. Mm-hmm. It's not part of, like for a Christian, death is part of the journey, right? And it's and it's it's a test of our trust in Christ, and that's what we need to disciple our children into, and not see it as something to be avoided, and you know right. tucked into a dark corner. Philippians one, you you have twelve through thirty. I'm not going to read all those verses, but essentially it says in there to live as Christ and to die as gain, and that that is our and we'll get into that in, in mantra little, for that's Christian a little bit further down. I just want to finish this last one. The world views it this way. Uh, 
I call it the quest for immortality, right? So we've, we've avoided the reality of death, but also we have this, the medical progress that we've seen gives the illusion that death may not be inevitable. Um, gives the illusion that death may not be. People are starting to ask questions like, how can I avoid death? You have, I read an article recently. There was a guy who said that him and his family, they each paid $20,000 to have their bodies cryogenically frozen so that if the ability to re, you know, revive a human body in the future happened, then they would then continue their lives. Goodness. So they've spent 20, this is instead of being buried, instead of being cremated, they're going to be cryogenically frozen in liquid nitrogen for an undisclosed amount of time. Basically, I'm, I'm guessing they maybe have a hundred years or something. They're <laughs> like, why not? Okay. Uh, you also have um, Elon Musk, right? Neuralink, right? He's talking about being able to interact with the human mind, have an interface between the mind and the world other than what you would say, because basically our speech is an interface right now and our actions are an interface between our mind and the world. But, and the idea there is that you could download the consciousness of somebody into onto a hard drive. Some very Matrix and very uh, Vanilla well, the, Sky or whatever. The, well, the movie that came to my mind was Johnny Depp's uh, Transcendence where mm -hmm. he, he actually does this and it ends up, he becomes an AI villain. It doesn't end well ever. No, right? no, it never ends well. So here's the good news. Um, that's how the, the culture would view it. Now, what as Christian parents discipling our children, we need to remind them of the knell of death itself, right? You know what a death knell is, the bell that rings. Ding, you know, that the death has happened. Okay. Um, but here as Christians, we get to hear the knell of death, death itself on the cross. Um, for those hidden with Christ, Christ killed death. And the sooner our children understand Christ's lordship over death, the sooner they'll embrace his mm. lordship in this life. So... Driving that point home as parents, he is the Lord even over death. He killed death. Mm -hmm. uh, Paul said it like this, and you started reading the verse, but it's Philippians 1, I think starting in verse 21. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. So Paul is not just saying that to live to die is gain, but he's saying that it's, it's, it's far better. He would rather die, not because of he was suffering. He was in prison during this letter. Um, but his final destination was so compelling mm -hmm. that in, through, and with Christ, right. he would die. Mm -hmm. And I think part of the fear of death, you asked me at the beginning of the episode, why, you know, what was your take on death? And I think the, it's the fear of the unknown, but it's the fear of the transition. I think too, you don't know what's going to look like, feel like, or when it's going to happen. Mm -hmm. I mean, maybe you sort of have an idea, you know, if God's, if you're on that path, but, uh, the biggest comfort to me, I think is that, you know, Jesus says, I will never leave you or forsake you. It's, it's weird kind of mm -hmm. joking about this, but in a real way, it's not like you're, you're sitting on your deathbed and you're like, oh, okay, I'm going to die. And God's like, okay, I'll see you on the other side. Right. Like he's, he's with you Yeah. no matter where you go. And I would put it like this. Those who fear God need not fear death mm -hmm. because he will never leave you nor forsake you. In fact, uh, I want to go into that passage um, with regard to the knell of death is that passage that we were quoting comes from actually, uh, I think it's Hebrews 13, five and the Greek there it's without understanding some of the grammar between Greek and English, it really cannot come through because it's of how Greek speakers negated things and how they emphasized things. So in, in English, really quickly, if I want to negate something, I will say, 
uh, you know, this, uh, that, that is not a dog, right? If I say, if I want to emphasize that it's not dog, I would not say that is not, not a dog because that negates the negation. Right, it says it is I would dog, say that's yeah. very much not a dog, right? I'm using a weird example, but, um, there you have it. Well, in the Greek behind this, I will never leave you nor forsake you. It actually, the way Greek works is if they add negators onto right. the, onto the noun it's or onto the verb, it, right? it's emphasizing it by degree. Right. And so that verb or that verse, if you read that literally in the English, we have it translated and it's smoothed out to say, I will neither, he has said, I will neither leave you nor forsake you. In the context of that verse, he said, don't let, don't um, have a love of money. Mm-hmm. Like he will take care of you. He said, he will neither leave you nor forsake you. But if you read that passage in the wooden literal Greek, it would go like this in the English. Never not you will I leave, nor never not you will I forsake. Hmm. Now in the Greek, the word order is different. But the point is, is there's five negators in there. And so the point I'm trying to make is that in that transition between life and death, he, will, he what this means is he will not only not leave us now, here and now, he's with us here and now. Every breath you breathe is, is by the grace of God. Every moment that you exist is by Christ, through Christ, and for Christ. Not only will he be with you now, but he will be with you in the afterlife and in the time in between, in that in that transition across what Bunyan calls the river of death, right? He won't just let you drown and feel a sensation of drowning, then suddenly he'll be with you. He will not just, he's not like see you on the other side. Mm-hmm. He's with you the entire way, which to me, that was a game changer to realize like he's there to hold your hand. Right. Yeah. And so- And to, I think to to teach our, how do we teach our children about something that we don't know? Right. These are the things that we are saying, look, mm. when we go to the Bible, this is what it says. When we understand the language and the words and what is actually being said, we can trust God even more. We can not fear death. If you are facing, you know, in our in our homeschool studies, we, we read about martyrs. We read about in church history. We read about missionaries who have died or and, and how can they stand in the face of yeah. death? How can they stand, you know, even 60, 70 years back in World War Two, you know, Corey Ten Boom, how can they they face that? You know, somebody saying your loving God is not going to save you. I'm going to kill you if you don't renounce God. I mean, you have people all over the world that are suffering even now. Mm. How can they say to glory be the Christ? To, to glory be to Christ. Like the gospel, Ali Basaki said it. She said like the gospel has always been either malign. We as Christians have always been. Um, it's always been attacked or persecute, right? That's just the nature of, of the gospel all throughout history. Mm. So, and we are here saying, that's all we can say is glory be to God and Christ the King, like glory to be to him. You faced it. Well, how can we say that, right? And to die in his game. Right. And do and with me what you will. So we're teaching yeah. our children to to not fear death because death is not the end. Christ right. has conquered death. And so we'll, we'll end it here with five life lessons <laughs> on death. We're gonna end it real quick with five. <laughs> No, I'll, I'll, I tease you. Okay, so here's how we <laughs> disciple our children around the topic of death. And again, it's all in the context of we're discipling you so that you will know for yourself. But we also want you to know, child, you need to disciple your child in the same way. Right. And this discipling is an ongoing conversation, not just a one-time thing. Yes. Yes. And they will pick up more based on your own view of death than anything you could say. Like they're going to pick up based on your um, actions around it. Right. Yeah. And they, how can you they feel detect about that it. you fear death, yes. that you fear Yes. Uh, that your, your confidence smart, is not like, in Christ. Mm-hmm. Yes, they will know. They'll they pick can it sniff up. it a mile away. <laughs> okay, so number one, a life lesson on death is, child, you will die someday. Yeah. 
And you don't think so because your life is short. And, you know, if you're five years old, a year is still 20% of your life. So it seems like life is going slow. Child, you will die one day. That's Psalm 9012. Teach us a number of days that we might gain a heart of wisdom. Life lesson on death number two. Child, you will either die in Christ or you will die outside of Christ. Mm -hmm. You will either die in Christ or you will die outside of Christ. Of course, we want them to die in Christ. Right, and that begs the question. Who Christ is. How do I die in Christ? (laughs) Death is the result of sin, but child, you need not be bound by your sin and Mm -hmm. therefore bound by the result of your sin because you can place your faith in Jesus Christ. Okay, that's lesson life lesson on death number two. Number three. Child, in Christ, death is gain. Mm. In addition to Paul's reminder that death is gain, remember Paul wanted to be with Jesus. He thought, I kind of want to leave this life and go to the next because I want to be with Christ. In addition to that, we have uh, assurance from Christ himself. He said this in John 14, in my father's house, there are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, will I not come again? will take you to myself that there that where I am you may be also. Hmm. So in Christ death is gain. We get to go to our father's house. Big big house with lots and lots of rooms. Big big table. <laughs> lots and lots of food. Audio adrenaline. What what? <laughs> um number 4, life lesson on death. Child, being willing to die for Christ means you're ready to live for him. Hmm. Being willing to die for and in Christ means that you're ready to live for him. Uh, It's the beginning of truly living is Mm. is understanding not only Christ's death, but what his implications of his death have on your own death. If you're ready to die and meet your maker, then you're ready to live for your maker. Number five, last one. Hmm. Christ will never leave you, not even in your suffering through death. He will walk with you through the river of death and, and hold your hand the entire way. So it's it's a beautiful thing. I want to read this this Getty hymn because I, I I have a hard time singing this song because it's very emotional and I can't sing when I'm on the verge of being emotional. <laughs> <laughs> the words just don't come out. Just my voice, my, my throat cramps up. <laughs> it says this: No guilt in life, no fear in death. This is the power of Christ in me. From life's first cry to final breath, Jesus commands my destiny. No power of hell, no scheme of man can ever pluck me from His hand. Till he returns or calls me home here in the power of Christ, I'll stand. Mm. Amen. Amen. I love it. I love it. Okay. Um, if you want some more resources on this, uh, there's a really tiny book written by Tim Keller, who, by the way, is kind of, he's, he's recently had a relapse of his cancer. And so mm-hmm. he's facing this firsthand right now. Mm-hmm. And um, he wrote a book called On Death. Um, which I think is instructive for us. Another one by John Owen. It's a slog, but if you're up for it, it's a book called The Death of Death in the Death of Christ. Um, John Owen's a a tough read, but there you go. Um, Check that out if you feel so inclined. Um, We're talking about death here. If you don't know Christ, you're in a a dangerous spot and uh, we want you to know Christ. We want you to not fear death because you know that he has killed death Mm. and he has raised his own. He will raise you into new life. That can only be possible if you place your trust in him. If you don't know what that means, uh, find a friend, somebody who does place their trust in him. If you if you have Christians in your life and they're friends of yours, you probably know they're a Christian. <laughs> if you don't know they're a Christian, I'll tell you they're not a very good one because <laughs> they're supposed to tell you about this sort of thing. Uh, or if you know a pastor, or if they know a pastor, go talk to a pastor, get a mm-hmm. Bible in your hand, start reading it. 
If you have no access to either of those things, then we have a website for you. It's thenewsisgood.com. Check it out because you know what? As a believer, you need not fear death when you fear God because you know the one who has defeated death and has promised to raise his own to new life. Let's pray. Our Father, thank you for uh, the assurance that we have in life after death. Thank you that uh, death is not the last word in your economy, that you get the last word, Lord God, and you will raise your own unto glory unto yourself. So Lord, we place our trust in you, Lord, knowing that the object of our faith determines whether it's good or not, not the strength of our faith. So Lord, even with small faith or with great faith, we place it all in you, Mm. Jesus Christ. I pray for the parents who are potentially approaching these conversations with their children. I pray that you give them wisdom in their own hearts and how they understand death, but also give them wisdom in how they communicate around it, that their children may understand uh, and know you and follow you more clearly and not fear death in their own lives. In your precious name, amen. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us this episode. Well, the Fierce Parenting Podcast is. And we can. I'll see you again in how many days? Seven days. So until next time. Stay fierce. Hey, Trixie. <laughs> Trixie. <laughs>